We're reading from verse 11 of Mark chapter 8. Verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, Is it, is it because we have no bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a, a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, Don't even go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. That's the passage we're looking at. Why not keep it in front of you as we go through? Um, a favourite game in our household is Would You Rather? Um, so would you rather have a head the size of a tennis ball or a head the size of a beach ball? Um, really important issues. Would you rather have fingers as long as your legs or legs as long as your fingers? Oh, that's worth thinking about. But um, of course, some more serious ones, right? I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever thought this. Would you rather lose your hearing or lose your sight? I mean, either are terrible, of course, but not, not being able to hear uh, music, conversation, birds, not being able to see uh, sunsets, people you love, nature, and so on. Losing, surely, either sight or, or hearing would be terrible, and perhaps you know people in that very situation. According to Jesus, though, what is even more serious than being, um, becoming blind is being spiritually blind. Uh, that is being in darkness. So not seeing, not seeing the point of life, not knowing who God is, not understanding why the world is the way it is, not understanding why you're the way you are, um, not knowing the hope of life after death. Um, blindness. And perhaps you can remember a time when the phrase spiritually blind describes you pretty well. Uh, and perhaps it, perhaps it does describe you pretty well at the moment. What we're going to see today is that spiritual blindness is, is an incredibly serious condition. But thankfully, it's a curable condition. Um, we're in the middle of Mark's gospel, as I said, pretty much literally, actually. We, as we've often said, Mark has two aims in his gospel. In, in chapters 1 to 8, his aim is to show us who Jesus is. In chapters 9 to 16, his aim is to show us why he came. 
And, and we've reached something of a climax, actually, in Mark's Gospel. Where it says the, the moment we're looking at today is the moment that chapters 1 to 8 have been building up towards. Uh, but before we get there, um, I don't know if, you've, uh, if you're watching a, a series on Netflix, you know this is what happens if you're watching a series on Netflix. They'll do the previously on Suits or previously on whatever it may be you're watching. Uh, and then they'll show you previous clips that are obviously important to the episode you're about to watch. Now, I want to do the same. So previously in Mark's Gospel, three clips uh, by intro, Jesus is being opposed. Okay? Remember, the Pharisees have issues with Jesus forgiving sin, because only God can do that. There's something of a showdown in the synagogue. Remember when he heals the withered man, uh, the withered hand, the guy with the withered hand, and the Pharisees are looking on and very unhappy because of the Sabbath. All of this culminates in 3 verse 6, the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus being opposed. Strand of the story number two, Jesus is declaring himself to be the rescuer king. So he creates food out of nothing to feed 5,000 plus people in the wilderness, just as God himself did through Moses in the Exodus. He's saying, look, I haven't just come to perform a whole load of little mini rescues like a healing there or a healing there. I've come to perform the rescue. I have come to be the turning point for God's people. And not just God's people, Israel, the world, right? He does the same miracle as we saw last week in Gentile territory. And then, and then the third strand of the story, previously in Mark's Gospel, Jesus is making the deaf hear and the blind see. Remember, he's already healed the deaf man with spit and stuff. He does the same with the blind man today. And this is exactly what the rescuer king Messiah was expected to do. Um, look at these verses from Isaiah. Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will all the eyes of the blind be opened. Then the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap, leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. According to Isaiah, when the rescuer king comes, he will be doing exactly what Jesus is doing, opening the eyes of the blind, unstopping the ears of the deaf. So previously in Mark's gospel, Jesus is being opposed. Uh, Jesus is declaring himself to be the rescuer king. And to prove it, Jesus is making the deaf hear and the blind see. So keep those three strands of the story in mind as we go through. Now, in our passage, we've got another sandwich on our hands. I know there's lots of talk of bread and leftovers and crumbs, but it's not a bread sandwich. It's a word sandwich or a meaning sandwich. Uh, we've said this before, haven't we, that uh, this is where Mark separates one event or incident or subject even uh, into two. And then in the middle of that, he puts uh, another incident to help us understand the whole. Um, and so in this case, we have Jesus calling the disciples blind in the first bit. We have um, Peter rightly seeing who Jesus is at the bottom. And then in the middle, Jesus, uh, uh, Peter, uh, Mark, Mark inserts this story about Jesus healing the blind man. So two pretty straightforward things to see from our passage. One, the disciples were spiritually blind. The disciples were spiritually blind. Okay, so where are we? Jesus has just been in Gentile territory, if you remember. He's healing the deaf man. He's creating food to feed 4,000 people. And the Pharisees, remember the opposition strand of the story, uh, come up to Jesus in verse 11 and begin to question him. Notice why in verse 11? To test him. Tells you something about their motives, right? 
him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. They asked him for a sign. That's a little bit rich, isn't it, given that everything Jesus has been doing. And even for themselves, they saw a miracle in, in chapter 2, um, although they were focused on the forgiveness of sins bit, if you remember. But they're asking for a sign from heaven. Essentially, they're saying, Jesus, jump through this hoop, uh, then jump through this hoop, and then that hoop, and then we might consider possibly believing in you. Uh, but of course they weren't. They're just trying to catch Jesus out. He's coming from a heart attitude that actually doesn't want him to be the Messiah. It's a heart that's rebellious. And Jesus knows this. Um, he doesn't jump. He leaves, in fact. Verse 12, he sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. So, so they're in the boat having left, and it's, it's a classic case of people um, having a conversation but thinking about two different things. Um, as, they, as they pull out into the lake, Jesus, it seems, is reflecting on the conversation he's just had with the Pharisees, perhaps feeling heavy-hearted about their rejection of him. And so you get this confusion. Verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees that of, and that of Herod. Watch out for their heart attitude the heart that won't repent and believe in me, the heart that doesn't want me to be the Messiah. Watch out, he says, because it, it spreads and grows like yeast through bread. The disciples, however, are thinking about lunch. They discussed, verse 16, this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. You know, and if the Bible writers used emojis, I think at this point they would use face palm emoji. Um, th this shows that perhaps, more seriously, the yeast of the Pharisees is already working its way through the disciples. They're blind to what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus is, is upset, right? He's angry. Perhaps you can hear that, hear the tone of his voice in these words, verse 17. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have ears but fail to see and ears Sorry, eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear. And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of the pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Seven. You know, I imagine pause. Nothing. Verse 21, he said to them, do you still not understand? He's upset, he's disappointed, he's frustrated, he's angry. He asked eight questions in four verses. And it's important to see what he's upset about. It's not because they're just intellectually struggling to grasp these things. He's, you know, he's never, he, he never reacts like this to someone who's perhaps just slow to get it. Plus, they seem to remember the details, right? Twelve basketballs, seven basketballs. They remember the facts. This is something deeper. And it's there at the end of verse 17. Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened. Actually, we already know their hearts were hardened because we were told this in chapter 6. Remember Jesus, he'd fed the 5,000, he'd gone up to the mountain to pray, and then he walked out to them on the lake. Uh, this is how verse 51 puts it. He climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. 
They hadn't understood about the loaves. They hadn't seen what Jesus was trying to show them about himself, that he is God's rescuer king. He is God himself come to rescue. I mean, it's always going to be amazing to see someone walking on water, but, but perhaps in this case, if they'd seen what Jesus was showing them through the loaves, they might not have reacted in fear and amazement. Their hearts were hardened. And it seems their hearts are still hardened, even after seeing a repeat of that feeding miracle. Now, this, this doesn't mean they were, you know, they were desperately wanting to believe and they desperately wanted to see who Jesus is, but God was stopping them by hardening their hearts. Uh, it's not that. This is a phrase, actually, that, was, that described Pharaoh back in the original Exodus who had seen all the miracles Moses and Aaron had done but, were, but was refusing to let God's people go. There's nothing wrong with the details. It was a heart thing. And the same here with these disciples, it seems. Also a heart thing. In other words, it's worse than we think. The problem is worse than we think. They may be chatting away about bread, but, but Jesus pinpoints the problem. They're suffering from spiritual blindness. Do you still not see? Do you, do you have eyes but fail to see? Are your hearts hardened? And, and what Jesus is suggesting is that they fail to see because... Um, because in some way they don't want to see. It's not that they're a bit slow and they need to figure stuff out, you know, it's not that they still need to complete their spiritual education. It's worse than we think, they're blind. I remember doing a youth camp in Cape Town while I was down there at college and one of the teenagers on the camp um, was, was sort of stumbling around and was often helped and stuff and I said to one of the leaders, what's, um, what's, what's wrong with her? And, um, and, and he said, actually, she's, she's gradually going blind. And um, I asked her what it was like, and she said, well, things are, things are getting increasingly blurry and, and increasingly dark. And you can't, you, know, you can't imagine what that must be like. It's interesting is that, that that is the metaphor that Jesus uses to describe his disciples here. They're stumbling around. They're in the dark about him. It's also actually how he describes all of us outside of Christ. Blind to who Jesus is, blind to the state of our own hearts, blind to the rescue he's offering us. I wonder if you'd say that's true of you. Um, one of the differences between physical blindness and spiritual blindness is that you don't always know that you're spiritually blind or you don't accept it. There are very few physically blind people who claim to be able to see. Uh, some people... Um, perhaps like someone standing here, are in denial as to whether they need glasses or not, right? But it gets to a point where you know. I think it's possible to be spiritually blind, but to think that you see. That's how deep it goes. You might be different. You, you might be clearer on what you think. Jesus is not for you. That's, that's that. And there are lots of reasons people think Jesus is not for them. Um, often it's because deep down they don't want it to be true. Um, Aldous Huxley was an author in last century, um, and he, he was an atheist, and you can see that, actually, if you read some of his books. Um, and he was very honest. He said these words. He said, I had motive for not wanting the world to have a meaning, consequently assumed that it had none, and was able, without any difficulty, to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with a problem in pure metaphysics. In other words, it's not just in his head. He is also concerned to prove there is no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to do. For myself, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument 
of liberation, sexual and political. Do you, do you see what he's saying? He's being honest and he's saying the reason he was an atheist was not just intellectual. He decided there was no God, no king come into the world simply so he could live how he wanted to live uh, and be what he considered to be free. He didn't want it to be true. The, the point I'm making is, it, perhaps if that's you, be open to the possibility that you're not seeing things right. That, that perhaps what Jesus is saying about you here is true, that you are in some way blind. That what you've always assumed to be the case about Jesus is not right. That you have some underlying reasons for not wanting it to be true. As one writer puts it, doubt your doubts. Now, I, I realize this is all very unpleasant to think about on a Sunday morning, right? No one wants to be told, you know, you're not seeing things right. But it's so important to think about because until we, until we accept or realize that we're blind, we, we're not going to be looking for help. Second thing to see, the disciples were spiritually blind. Second thing to see, Jesus is the one who gives sight to the blind. And we see him giving sight in two ways here. And Mark's put them together, right, as we said, so that one illustrates the other. The first way he gives sight is physically, isn't it? Verse 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. So, so there's a guy who's approached Jesus with a real physical condition. Uh, apparently, it was a corneal, a corneal opacity or damaged retinal ganglion cells, basically blind. He comes to Jesus for help. He begs Jesus to touch him. Perhaps he's heard about the deaf man and what happened there. In fact, I don't know if you noticed, but Mark ties the two together, doesn't he? By using a lot of the same detail, the deaf, the, the deaf miracle and the blind miracle. I don't know if it sounded familiar to you. In both cases, people brought the man to Jesus and begged him to touch him. Same words. In both cases, Jesus wants privacy. He takes them away from the crowd or outside the village. In both cases, Jesus uses spit to do the miracle. In both cases, there seem to be three stages with, with the deaf man, his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. With the blind man, he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw clearly. And in both cases, Jesus doesn't want the miracle publicized. Obviously, he has more to teach people about who he is before he goes fully public and gets arrested. So do you see, Mark's tying the two together so that we get that strand of the story we were talking about earlier. Remember, according to the prophets, the Messiah was always going to be the one who heals the deaf and makes the blind see. And Jesus is stepping very clearly into those shoes. Of course, there is one difference, isn't there? You probably spotted it, and that's the two stages of the blind miracle. It seems odd, doesn't it? Jesus, Jesus seems to partially heal him. So you see people walking around like trees. So, and then fully heal him. Um, so he sees, but not completely. Why, why would Jesus do that? Presumably he hasn't run out of power, right? You know, like he's healing battery powers are a little bit low at the moment. There's a very good reason, actually, why I think Jesus does this. We're going to see that next week. For now, we just need to see that the man from Bethsaida was blind. Jesus touches him, and then he can see perfectly. Imagine being that guy, by the way, the light pouring in, 
seeing things you hadn't seen before, faces of people you knew, the sun, the birds, nature, Jesus himself. It's an incredible miracle. It's incredible kindness. And Mark wants us to see that this is what Jesus does for the disciples in a bigger, more profound way. Remember how we left it, verse 21? Do you still not understand? But now, verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi on the way he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others one of the prophets. Those were the popular opinions at the time. We would add in, I guess, a good moral teacher, some say. Some say a positive influence on history. Jesus turns the question on them, verse 29, but what about you? He asked, what about you? Who do you say I am? And really, everything we've read in Mark's gospel up till now has been building towards this moment. Who do you say I am has been the question ringing throughout the first eight chapters of Mark's gospel. Peter answered, look, probably speaking for all the disciples, you are the Messiah. Bingo. Got it. Verse 30, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And, and let's be clear. When Peter answers him, when he says, you are the Messiah, what is it he's saying about Jesus? So you, he's saying you, Jesus who we've come to know, Jesus who we've eaten with, laughed with, joked with, walked with, learned from, Jesus, you are the king we have grown up reading about. You are the king of the Old Testament that God promised throughout the Old Testament. As one writer put it, God's then, in you, Jesus, God's then has become God's now. You are the king who will rescue us from our oppressors and restore us to glory, put everything wrong right. You are the king to end all kings, to rule over not just Israel, but to rule over the whole universe forever. And therefore, you, you have every right to rule me. Peter says, you, you are my king. You are my Messiah. What a change, right? From talking about lunch in the boat, they finally see it, they get it, talking about the Messiah. You are the Messiah. And perhaps, I don't know, perhaps their minds start going back over everything, right? Just what have they seen? And it all clicks into place. He healed that paralytic, remember? Them talking amongst themselves on the road and, and told the Pharisees what they were thinking. Remember that? He healed the guy in the synagogue and amazed everyone with his teaching. Then there's the driving out evil spirits just by speaking, controlling the weather just by speaking, reaching down into death and bringing that girl back. Flip, what about him um, feeding, uh, feeding 5,000 people out of nothing in the wilderness? Why didn't we see that before? Um, there was him suspending the natural processes of, of creation by literally walking on water. Why didn't we see this before? The facts were there. They saw it. They experienced it. But they hadn't seen like when you're driving through the Midlands in fog and the sun shines through, the fog lifts for the disciples and Jesus the Messiah in all his glory shines through. How did it happen? What was the difference between the disciples in the boat and disciples on the road? Well, what's in between? Jesus giving sight to the blind. Jesus is the difference. And he asks us the same question. I'm convinced this is why it's here. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? 
I cannot think of a more important question to get right. Um, what, what were some of the answers we said? You know, Jesus, who do you say I am? Uh, Jesus, I say you're a good guy to learn from, learn from. I say you are probably very comforting to a lot of people, but not for me. Jesus, I say you are equally as valid as other religious leaders. I say you're great to have on my side to make my life better. Who do you say I am? You know, if we're not answering the question the same way Peter does, then we're as blind as Peter was before. We all have the facts here, right? It's here, so evidence is not the problem, or it's not an intellectual problem, it's a heart problem. And the one who rescues us from that problem is still Jesus. He is still the one who opens blind eyes so we can see him, so we can turn to him and trust him. This is not a problem we can fix ourselves. Jesus is the one who does it, the only one. The disciples were spiritually blind. Jesus is the one who gives sight. What does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? I've got four ways to respond. If you suspect you're spiritually blind, perhaps you're not thinking much of Jesus, perhaps like the Pharisees, you're not really wanting Jesus to be true or real, ask Jesus to open your eyes. Um, you know, we probably all had an elderly relative who's too stubborn to go to the optometrist um, to get tested. Perhaps it, perhaps it gets worse and worse. It's all very funny, blah, blah, blah. But it, it's funny until they get behind the wheel of a car and then it becomes dangerous, doesn't it? There's a warning implied in these verses, a warning that, that Jesus makes explicit a bit later on. There will be a day when the Messiah comes back, comes back in judgment. And if we're still desperately blind, deliberately blind, we'll have to pay for our sin ourselves. Now you see, when your eyes are open, do you know what the first thing is you see when your eyes are open? You see the Messiah on the cross, arms outstretched, taking your sin on himself and welcoming him, welcoming you to himself. Taking your guilt so that you don't have to. And so it makes sense, doesn't it, that when you reject that Messiah on the cross, your guilt remains. That's for your account. Ask Jesus to open your eyes. Jesus, I'm struggling here. I'm blind. I don't get it. Please help me to see. Perhaps you've done that. Secondly, appreciate your salvation. Why are you a Christian and your friend, family, colleague, member not? Not because you were brought up a certain way or because you saw things more clearly. According to Jesus, you didn't see anything. You were blind. The reason you're a Christian is because God in his grace and kindness opened your eyes and gave you sight. Ah, oh, I get it. Remember that moment? That moment where everything clicks into place? It makes sense. Do you remember that? That was God's grace to you. Uh, one man who knew that more than most was John Newton, who had a, a colorful past, to say the least. He was a sl slave driver. He was a very promiscuous. He was a heavy drinker. He, he said he walked his Christian life with a limp. He said that, well, this is what his biographer said about him. For Newton, the Christian life could only be explained by God's sustaining grace. Grace saved his wretched soul. Grace sought him out. Grace removed his spiritual blindness and opened his spiritual eyes. Grace taught him to fear God. Grace relieved his fears. Grace led him to hope. Does this sound familiar? The life and ministry of Newton can all fit under the banner of grace. God's abundant, all-sufficient, infinite, sovereign, unceasing, and amazing grace. Here's where we get the hymn. If you're a Christian, 
this morning. This is your story. Whether you were the owner of a slave ship steeped in sin, whether you were a middle-class South African also steeped in sin, either way, the eyes of your heart have been opened. And it's God's grace, his kindness, his love and compassion that has opened your eyes for you. Appreciate your salvation more. Therefore, worship Jesus more. You know, there are a ton of YouTube clips on um, YouTube um, of, of blind people, or previously blind people, using technology, amazing technology actually, to see for the first time. Uh, they, they sort of put the glasses on, and it's an incredible moment uh, to watch. But, but what is the point at which they get the most emotional is when they see the people that they've known their whole lives for the first time. Emotion, they embrace, there's gratitude. Listen, your eyes, if you're a Christian, your eyes were not opened so you could understand a set of propositional truths in your head. Your eyes were opened so you could see a person, so you could know and have a relationship with a person. That's why God has opened our eyes, to know him and to worship him, to bring all of our lives under him, to live under him. See, there's a connection between seeing and worshiping. If you're not worshiping Jesus, you're not seeing him clearly. He's the Messiah. He's the king to end all kings. A king on a cross who loves you. A king on a throne giving you life. So others, and, and that, all of that is true, and so others need to, need to know him too. Understand the mission better, fourthly and lastly. Understand that your friends and family, according to Jesus, are blind. Deliberately so. What do we do? We ask God, pray continuously to God to open their eyes, and we speak the truth of the gospel to them. I've, I've got friends who are not who are just not becoming Christians, you might say. The first question I need to ask myself, am I praying for them regularly, persistently? That's how God opens blind eyes. You know, without Christ, we are all spiritually blind. Praise God there's someone who opens eyes and ask him to do that if you haven't. If you have, appreciate your salvation more. Worship the Messiah, understand the mission better. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, I thank you so much for uh, your goodness to us. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would help us see. I pray that your spirit would open our eyes to help us see the truth of Jesus. I pray that would be the case more and more, um, that we would appreciate what you have done for us more and more, that we would uh, worship the Christ, the Messiah. Your son is a glorious king. Help us to live our lives in obedience under him joyfully and i pray that you would help us to to be prayerful to be asking you to open eyes of friends and family for the glory of jesus we pray amen